welcome to Objects Industry Review, the podcast where men discuss the paths our lives take and what we hope to see on the road ahead. I am your host, Travis Montez. In this episode, I interview my dear friend, actor, filmmaker, Eddie Bernard, about how art and community helped him survive a tough upbringing on New York's Lower East Side, what it took for him to find and follow his passion, and how he's finally becoming a man he can be proud of. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. This is Objects in this Review. And so the part of the reason that I want to wanted to talk to you is, you know, in my life, you represent like creativity, free spirit. Um, you're a lifelong New Yorker, which I feel like is one of those things that requires its own like badge. Yeah. 100%. Um, and so just, just let's start with like who you are and what you do. I think you have the coolest job in the world. Um, so like tell us about your work. Hey, oh, that was great. Um, <laughs> thanks for reminding me some things. Uh, I'm a camera operator for TV and film. You know, say I'm a filmmaker. Mainly operate camera for TV shows, for movies. Can you name something for us that you've worked on? As a camera operator Mm -hmm. uh, for TV and films, I work on a lot of documentaries, docu-series, and reality shows, Mm -hmm. mainly, 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 mainly. Uh, I started off when I graduated from college and went the film route independent, worked on a couple shorts. I have some documentaries that I have in my head that I'm going to work on. But as far as scripted drama, mm-hmm. you know, large scale, you know, high budget films, mm-hmm. I'm not in that world. I do TV and reality, which is <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's got a lot of every day's different. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like I'm going to the same set working on, a, you know, script page eight, mm-hmm. uh, scene 46 of the same story, you know, because films take a long time, take about three right. months of shooting. And you kind of feel like it's repetitive a little bit. Uh, a reality show still can go two, three months of shooting, but every day is a new episode, you know? Every day is something new. It's an event. It's a little drama. So it does feel like it's different. It always keeps me on my toes. And I love that. I wake up, I don't know what I'm going to get into. Do you start your day since you do like unscripted things? Do you like have goals for the day? Do you know ever know exactly what's going to happen? Does it always go not as planned? So what's the point of making plans? Okay, so this uh, we do we have a script as far as the the crew because there is pretty big crew. It's about thirty of us, mm-hmm. and so we'll know we'll get the beats. We'll get you know our call time. We'll prep our cameras, and then we'll go to whatever location we're going to be. So it's normally you know a housewife's house or mm-hmm. you know an event or something. We're, we'll meet up with our cast, and then. We'll probably do another company move, which means, you know, the entire production packs up, jumps in a bunch of vans, and we head to the next production because we're following these people throughout their lives. Right? As I say with my quote-unquote air, air, lives. Air, yes, quote unquote yes, lives. yes, my air quotes. And so we do have a breakdown. It's almost like a soft script, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we know what's going to happen throughout the day. Sort of. The times always vary. And reality, with a film, you can stay on time mm-hmm. because the budget needs it to be right. You're going to stay on budget. You're going to stay on time. So if you're working 12 hours, which is a normal day for us, everything is pretty much to the, the minute, to the time. You have someone that's called an AD. Um, you have other people that that's their job to keep it on time, keep to the keep machine running smooth. Reality you got a lot more um, waiting Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not for not necessarily on, I'm not going to blame the talent, uh, but these people that we're following are multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they, they see this as just, you know, some of them as 
not part of their job, right? They have their right. companies to run. Then other people see this as, you know, this is, now this is my new company. This is my brand, right? So, but you can always expect them to be like uh, a little late sometimes, or we go over and because the, the drama is so good in the scene. Don't want to leave it. No, no, no. We're shooting. And that's the worst part is that I have this camera that's like, I would say about, you know, 30 pounds yeah. to 34 pounds at times. And it's just on my shoulder. All day. And... We're, you know, half the time we're shooting these people eat. They're always at dinner or a brunch <laughs> or something. They're always just eating and they're doing it. Like we're there for the two and a half hours, three hours. That's all the main, the, all the courses come out, dessert. They have an, uh, a digestif after that. And like, it's like, <laughs> and I'm shooting all this and, you know, there's a couple of us doing it, but it wears you down because so I, I can't feel my shoulder at the end of the two hours. Of, and, you know, and a lot of these places, if you just add booze to, you know, it's a lot of, you know, cast members. It writes drunk, itself. And then the drama Yeah, unfolds. so much reality show happens like at a bar or alcohol is happening and you're like, that's just lubricating. Yeah, no, but like a lot of these shows where you get all these people in the same house and, you know, yep. when, when, when I was younger, when I was 26, I had no idea what to do with all of my energy and you put mm-hmm. I didn't know alcohol how, on right. top of that. I didn't know how that. that sentence was going to end. Woo, you put alcohol on yeah. top of that. So, and, and it's just, you know, Fireworks happen. So we just shoot, you know, just get ready for we're shooting something and we'll take a break. And then we just, you know, let them go, you know, about their lives. They have to go do something, have a phone call, just chill for a little bit. So they're off camera. We don't have to point all the fucking time. Right. That's crazy. Uh, but then once something happens, you'll hear on, on our walkies. All right, let's go. Let's we're go. back in. And I'm chasing like to find How out what's going on. How long have you been on. doing this? Uh, Filmmaking in general, mm-hmm. um, if I professionally mm-hmm. at, at a at a high caliber, I would say ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been, you know, with uh, with the ballet company that I was part of. Right. Um, yes. Yes. That we can get to that. Yeah. If you want. But um, with that, uh, I was doing a lot of their videography. Right. Is that so how you started? That filmmaking? is kind of how I started, like liking it uh-huh. and being like, and also there was acting before that, but the I didn't really like the acting part. So I liked no, no, I really liked what they were doing. I liked the technical stuff. I liked watching the crew just oh, like scream at each other and pick up heavy things. And I'm like, what are they doing? And so I love how you naturally because that's where I was like moving to. I love how, like so yeah, yeah. Let's sort of talk about how you started in filmmaking. So mm-hmm. when I met you, 2001, that seems like a lifetime ago. I primarily knew you as a dancer slash actor. Um, so how did you get involved in the arts? Around the time I was like 20 years old mm-hmm. is when I met uh, Daniel Katnick. And when were you 20 years old? 1999? Uh, 20 years old was 2000. Okay. Near 2000. <laughs> yes. In this year of 2022, I'm going to be 42 years old. Um, yeah. If you Welcome. have a JPEG to go with this, <laughs> uh, people won't believe it. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah so around the time I was 20 I met Danny Kanick through a mutual friend one of my best friends uh, who danced ballet and did martial arts and was in uh, I met him in the theater program mm-hmm. in junior high school mm-hmm. we were both in the same theater program I did the lights when I was it was like, like 11 or 12 mm-hmm. you know, in junior high school and so and that's how I met him in New York grew up in New York Lower East Side and um, so he just knowing him, he kept talking about this guy, Danny, his dance teacher, his dance teacher, his mm-hmm. dance teacher. And eventually I did meet him. He brought me into the fold. Um, I tried to do ballet for a couple months. At, at, at 20? 
uh, at 20. Uh-huh. Um, so I took having not danced before. Having not, having done some like freestyle street hip hop for a long time, mm-hmm. like a couple years, you know, in the city. Dance, formal dance, anything like that. Was that at the uh, settlement house? That was Henry Shoe okay. Settlement. Henry Shoe Settlement, yeah. Which is, is that, so we should talk about, because like people who are listening, yeah. that's like a New York thing that like folks have yeah. no idea exists. So like, as a kid growing up on the Lower East Side, so, how were you introduced? How, like, where does the way that people are introduced? Growing up in the Lower East Side, I was, there's um there's a nonprofit, there's a local nonprofit organization called Henry Street Settlement. And Henry Street is, you know, one of the streets mm-hmm. here on the Lower East Side. And so Henry Street Settlement, they were like an, uh, an arts, it was an after school program for me mm-hmm. as part of my junior high school, junior high school 56. It was one of the like elected after school programs. Mm-hmm. And so I naturally went there just because I needed something to do. But Henry Street Settlement is just, it's arts, entertainment, theater, it's, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And so there we would have these productions, mm-hmm. like these kid productions. Um, and that's how I started just even getting into any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I met Mando. And so did that. Your martial artist, dancer friend. Martial artist, dancer friend. Connecting with yes. Danny. Yes. So once I started dancing ballet with this company or ballet theater, I, I was I was not as good as them in any way. Nor was <laughs> I going to say that I was a ballet dancer. I was like, no fucking way. But I tried. Um, I did a couple performances with them. Mm-hmm. and But the company themselves, we just like, we, they just took me in with open arms. Mm-hmm. It was just like bunch of rugrats together. What did that, creativity mean for you at that time? Was in your like twenties? I was I was really angry, right? I mm-hmm. just I just just and got out the military um okay. early. It was like uh, <laughs> they kicked me out, but it was an honorable discharge. Mm-hmm. They're um, like, get out. This is like, not yeah, for you. The, it was not for me. What branch of the uh, military? Uh, it was the Navy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't uh, love it, I guess. And it just it just we didn't we didn't work out. But yeah, honorably you got needed out. to oh, see other people. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I did two years. Okay. Yeah. And when I got out, I was just like really angry. Not not because of that in general, but I was like young and I was just like full of hormone and testosterone, lower sign. It was hot. And I was just <laughs> and so I didn't know where I was going. Mm-hmm. You know. So at that time to to get into something creative like that, it was an outlet for a lot. I don't think I appreciated it as much at the time, but compared to what it did you know, in the overall trajectory of my life. It had a big part. Yeah. So now that's your career. Yeah. If I was younger, I, would, I was not noticing it when I was in there. So but, Mandel, your best friend, is like, "Come dance with me." What are you thinking the first time that you like go to like this first, dance? The first. Why time, did you go? Why did you say yes? Okay. The first time I went, I think into, I know the answer to this. Uh, ballet class. Mm-hmm. I saw ballerinas. Right. You know, you know, females dance ballet, right? Do you I, know this? I had heard. Have about you known this? this? Yeah. Have you known this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, everyone's there in tights and I'm just like young and everyone's fucking hot. And every, and I was like, well, okay, um, let me just, yeah, I, I guess I can try a class, mm-hmm. right? I, mean, mm-hmm. I can try I one can be class. In this world. I can try one class. Um, and I was terrible and they all laughed at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they told me to keep trying. That's great. And so, you know, all these people, you know, throughout years became like a surrogate family to me. How does um, that lead to acting then? 
So after I stopped dancing, I, I was like, guys, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you guys by jumping on stage with all of you. Like, these are world-class dancers mm-hmm. now, and they let me on stage with them. Yeah. <laughs> like, this fucking idiot. Yeah, like New York <laughs> ballet dancers. Like, you were dancing with people who also dance with New York ballet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so um, after I stopped dancing, I still part of the family, still part of the company. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how can I help in some way? And so I started uh, sh- uh, doing all the videography like shooting all of the performances mm-hmm. because I knew the, the, I was in class with them. I knew all was, of them. I, I knew their go. movements. I knew the choreography. I knew the shows. And so you know, I can follow them really well on stage. And it was, it worked for a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. I did like all of urban ballet theaters, videography, all of their DVDs. I'll do all their editing. Um, and so naturally self-taught. Yeah. Great. I mean, yeah, you just get a ripped copy of something and just start fucking teaching you. So I didn't know anything, so I could only go up, right? Mm-hmm. So or how bad I, I got to do. I didn't know what I was to do. Anyway, so then when it came to around 2008, 2009, when I wanted to go to college, um, it was after my sister. I was waiting for her to graduate first. Mm-hmm. And when she finally graduated, I was like, all right, now it's my time. Why were you waiting for her to graduate? She was the first mm-hmm. in my family to, to go. Uh, graduate college to not to go. My mom tried it mm-hmm. before she died. My sister was the first to graduate. Mm-hmm. And I just had a superstition. I was like, there can't be two of us in college <laughs> at the same time. So it's going to go wrong. So as soon as she's done, you know, help her with as much homework as possible. I want to make sure she's taking care of everything. When she's mm-hmm. done, I always said I'd go. So mm-hmm. when, my, when we did graduate, when she did graduate, I say we because I was right there with her. When she did graduate, she literally looked at me and was like, all right, your now's turn. your turn. That's the adorable. So then I went. Um, and after a, a year of liberal arts and thinking I want to do computer programming, which I did for like an associates. And then I was like, film. Yeah. Fuck it. Like, That's a job. Yeah. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to yeah. do film and TV. Cause I kind of just keep going forward. I, I can go on forever. Yeah. I know? love how you're talking. Keep and going. All of that was a couple years. Right. So it's like, <laughs> just tell me you could bring me back. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I'm interested in like your acting journey. Cause you tried that okay. for a little bit. So right. tell so me how that I happened. Stopped dancing ballet and, you know, before the videography, mm-hmm. it, all the all the ballerinas, all the ballet dancers, they all have headshots. Mm-hmm. All of them are take. They have auditions. Mm-hmm. They all have a, a small role in a show or or, or theater production. Or so. it's, they're all over the place, right? And I'm like, damn. So Danny, of course, goes. All right, you got to get your headshots too. You're part of the family. Everyone gets headshots. I'm like, okay. And then throws me an acting class, mm-hmm. Penny Templeton School of Acting, mm-hmm. with all of these knuckleheads. <laughs> and they're just running circles around me. But I had a lot of anger. So I, I, I it, a lot of the performances came out really wrong. Really? Yeah. And I had a small knack and I felt a little good about it. And after, you know, doing that for a couple months, I felt a little better about mm-hmm. it. And uh, apparently there was an agent, too, that he was like, you needed yeah, to have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's the agent that, that that everyone who wants to act from the dance company gets this agent. So it's like just I just got funneled in. And then I went to my first audition uh-huh. for a McDonald's commercial. I remember this. It was, they had this newfangled idea of doing a dollar menu. Mm-hmm. And it was That's like, how old we are. We need a whole program. That's and like We need we a whole uh, media campaign to go with this. So. I went in for the commercial mm-hmm. and I, they gave me the uh, the script as I was waiting in the waiting room before I went in. There was somebody doing the audition before me and I'm reading the script and I was like, oh, Alpine for a dollar. Oh, McNuggets for a dollar and you can have these two cheeseburgers for a dollar fifty. I'm like, this sounds great. I'm getting hungry, right? I'm like, oh, this is great. I would love this menu if it existed. And I'm realizing that they were going to make right. this menu. 
I already like memorized the whole script because I was just like getting hungry reading right. this whole thing. Because so you were time, like excited about by it. By the time they you know? call me to go in, I went in and I just go off. I'm like, you know what you can have? And I just do the whole thing staring at one producer in the face, like just right into her eyes. They're like, they, it was over. I take a second. I was like, all right, if you guys want me to do it a different way, like they stopped me halfway and they're like, no, 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 you got the part. That was, that was amazing. Perfect. We'll let you know. We'll call your, your, uh, your manager. We'll, We'll don't figure contact. it out yeah yeah and uh yeah I, I go on to do this commercial for mcdonald's for the first one but then it was like three in a row it was uh i did that uh, the same two days uh we did that dollar menu commercial i did a christmas commercial and then i did a commercial in spanish which at the time my spanish was terrible <laughs> so now here i am doing the spanish dollar menu commercial and this shit aired every other five yeah, minutes yeah i remember this shit was on tv all the time and all of the na- national all of, commercial all over the place every fucking market i didn't live that down no so but that that was my first audition and the fact that, that i immediately nailed this one thing you know gave me some hope mm-hmm. um and since then you know it hasn't been i'm, I'm not I don't have the time to put into it, right? Because like it was always like another side hustle for mm-hmm. me, right? And so, did you I ever got, love acting? I never really truly like loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm not like I, I'm. I mean, I'm, I can't. I'm, I'm not out there every day mm-hmm. working on my craft because that's not where I want to be. I don't want to be the one re- re- reciting mm-hmm. other people's lines, ideas, and there are. I just want to make mine, and I know that. When did you realize that that you wanted to make them? I, I want to make it right. I want to mm-hmm. make it. I want to work with amazing actors to act my film. But mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna ruin. I'll ruin someone's film if I. When did you realize that? When was the moment that you're like, oh, behind the cameras is my it? I just. I, I was. Every time I did a part, I would always look at it and look at other people behind the scenes mm-hmm. and just see the camera crew mm-hmm. like running around, like. You know, moving things, adding things. It was just, it was, it was like, um, it was like one hive mind. All of these people working for the same goal and busting their ass, and it was just really interesting technically. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to know more. And once I started doing some classes and learning about cameras and at Brooklyn College, yeah, Brooklyn College, mm-hmm. and just. Like you, you, before, you could just hand me a little, you know, I had a camera, my, my mom's old 35 millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what any of that shit did. And here I am taking pictures and they all come out terrible. And so my first class at Brooklyn College, I learned a thousand times more than what I learned. Mm-hmm. Just one day I learned how to use that old school 35 millimeter camera. And I was like, wow, because I was absorbing all the, the, the information. I was taking extra classes. I was all over the place. So you graduate high school, you go to the military, you get out of the military, and then you go back to college after your baby sister graduates. So I did this. I graduated early from high school. Really? Yeah. Um, my I went in 10th grade mm-hmm. because junior high school in New York, if nobody knows, it's junior high school is 7th, 8th, and 9th. Mm-hmm. A lot of places is just... 7th and 8th, yeah. And also high school is 10th, 11th, 12th. So when I started high school... Where'd you go? Uh, Humanities High School mm-hmm. in New York, which is in Chelsea, which is mm-hmm. on 18th Street, if you don't know. I started 10th grade. And then when 11th grade happened... Oh, no. Uh, 10th grade, I did the entire year. And then 11th grade, I only did half of 11th because halfway through the year, they sent me to the other half of senior year. So I only did two years... Of high school. In high school instead of three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just because I just, 
I, I was doing a bunch of classes. I don't know. I didn't have, there was like, there was no electives anymore for me to have. Mm-hmm. I figure out what they told me, but they advanced me. So by, you were like 17 when you yeah. graduated. Uh, so no, I was 16 when I graduated, mm-hmm. right? When I was, when I was ready to graduate. I graduated 17 years old, mm-hmm. but at the beginning of that year, I was still 16 mm-hmm. and I went to, I was in Times Square and then a recruiter came out or something, or maybe I approached him or forgot, but I started talking to this recruiter and a little by little, after a couple of days, a couple of meetings, a couple of weeks, I'm like, I realized that once you're 16, you can go to the military mm-hmm. under this special program called the debt program, as long as your parents sign you over, right? And mm-hmm. they sign a waiver. I think it's like, it's literally like they're signing me over to the military, but you can go younger, Right. Why was that even an op? Why would, is that something that you were even So what happened, yeah, so I ended up graduating right in the beginning. Everyone that graduated that year was at the end of the year. I ended up graduating early. I didn't have to go to graduation. I ended up getting my diploma earlier. And it was, I left. And so I left the military at 17. Mm-hmm. As soon as I graduated before everybody else, I went straight to the military at 17 because uh, I had my 18th birthday there. And it was just, I was, everyone else was graduating six months later. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, at the time, I didn't believe that I was going to go to college. Remember I told you there was, there mm-hmm. was like, there was no one graduating in, in my family. So I, I didn't believe the college thing. I don't know. There was like not much to do out here. What did you was, think the Navy was going to be? And then what did it end up being? I don't know. For some reason, I thought- I feel I just, like most I, people go to the military for like some sense of direction or you need discipline or like whatever the, or- to like pay for college or buy a house, but I don't know that that was that you. was that was not me at all. Yeah, like um, what got you into the navy? I just I was really bored mm-hmm. with having to constantly be the man of the family. Mm-hmm. I was really over this neighborhood a little bit. Mm-hmm. The Lower East Side of Lower East Side, and it was it was a lot. I was gang ridden. Mm-hmm. It was pretty bad down here. Yeah, I was like walking over, and I remember like. I've walked to your apartment from that train station a thousand times since 2000. And I remember like, you know, whenever you used to go to like Alphabet City in like the early, like late 90s or 2000, people were like, you might not come. Like you were, yeah. people treated you like you might not come back. Yeah, no, it was crazy out here. Um, so I don't know. I just, I wanted to do something else and mm-hmm. I wanted to mean more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, I, I just felt that I was in a good place. I felt that my mom was in a good place mm-hmm. and my sister was now in the high school that I was at. She, mm-hmm. she met all of my friends because now she was a freshman while my friends were, um, Junior were, were, were seniors. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. So in a way, you went to the military because it was like the first time you could really focus on yourself. It was the first time I could do anything, really. I had the option to do something and I realized right. that there's, you know, most People, oh, you know, when you're 18, you're an adult. But like, I could leave to the military at 17. Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna do that." Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I just left. And then I just left. Was like, no, thank you. And uh, for a long time, like boot camp was all gravy. I loved all of that. Like, I, I think boot camp is something that people should do. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't. It's just it. It was it was a lot of people struggling for the same thing. Mm-hmm. All a walks, lot of different people. All yeah. walks of life all around every every different race a lot of every mm-hmm. different um and you love that yeah everyone had different identities everyone like and it was a bunch of kids all the guys and girls because it's co-ed and we're all just fighting to fucking mean something mm-hmm. right we're all like seeking the fucking 
the gratification of these of our chiefs and our master chiefs and our petty officers and it's just like but it's all of us just like busting our ass as a unit um and i like that mm-hmm. i like that that was good that was a different family than i was used to right just maybe um, why filmmaking also appeals to you because it's that same it's teamwork. the same it's the same type of hierarchy and rank system and like and focus on one it's goal. very militaristic the mm-hmm. filmmaking uh the, the world of entertainment and tv yeah it is but yeah i went there and i just wanted something uh but after boot camp i did something called my a school which is what you're going to be in the military mm-hmm. and i wanted to be a gunner's mate which did the hydraulics and all the electronic systems for like the boats mm-hmm. um and so you were interested in like technical stuff even then. yeah even then so crushed that all my classes crushed that and then like i just after a while, after a couple months after that it was like Maybe like a year plus in, I just um I got really depressed. Mm-hmm. I just got really depressed. I started drinking a lot in there, and I just was like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do anymore. Like I thought this is what I wanted to do, but mm-hmm. I just don't have the passion for it. I don't care. I, didn't, I don't care about getting screamed at by people. I was used to that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I grew up. I yeah, you're like that doesn't motivate the military me. doesn't, doesn't motivate me. me. They don't hit me. <laughs> they don't physically hit me. They just scream at me. I'm like, okay. Get out of here. Uh, So I didn't care about that. Like, I can do that. I'm best under pressure. You want to scream at me? I'll do it. You can watch me and I'll do this. So it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. I just just didn't have the heart for it. And so, yeah, uh, throughout there, there was um, a couple programs uh, to start working to discharge me. Mm -hmm. Um, Three different divisions on my way out. And then I finally got out and and then came home and then came back here, moved in with my mom and... uh, then the whole thing with dancing and everything happened because that same year, my mom's watching a commercial with me on uh, on TV. Yeah. I remember when I was leaving the military, I told a bunch of my friends. I was, I was like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going back to New York to model. <laughs> I told them I was going to be a high fashion model. And they, at the time, you know, it, I look young, right? Yeah. So when I was... 18, 19, 20. I looked like I was 15. 15 yeah. And so they're just like, what are you talking, talking about? about? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so it didn't plan out that way, but I really hope they saw some yeah. of the commercials and missed. music videos it's that like, I was in. Right. Let's talk about the music video, yeah. <laughs> right? Because there's you did McDonald's, the Radio Shack commercial. I did the Radio Shack commercial. The music I did, I did uh, are... not AutoZone. <laughs> That's, That's sexy, what it was. Sexy AutoZone yes. commercial. Yeah, it like felt like changing the tire yeah, to it a felt car. Like AutoZone After Dark was your <laughs> commercial. And then I wipe the, the <laughs> grease off my hands and I stare at the cameras. Yeah. They were like, like, this is for women to call. <laughs> I'll make it, it was clear. Uh, so, yeah, I did that. I did a couple music videos. For? Uh, this one, uh, what was her name? Billy. She sang Kiss the Rain. Mm-hmm. She sang Billy. Billy Myers, Billy Myers. Okay. Oh my God. That's yes. bringing you back. KTU, like dance music. And she sang this other song called, I forgot the name of the actual video that I was in, but uh, yeah, it was a video. And I have like my signature outfit at the time, which in New York, I had UFO parachute pants. Mm-hmm. I had Timberlands, different mm-hmm. color for every UFO parachute pants. So I had these gray Tims on, unlaced, of course. I have these. That was the style. Like, what year is this? This is a. Uh, Fuck, I don't know, maybe 2001 or two. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, and I'm just like, and I'm on this, this, this round, like Lazy Susan dolly table altar thing that's lit up from the bottom. 
And I'm like, just like freestyle break dancing. And there's all these people around me. And it just, it was doing that to like four in the morning. Uh, so life. yeah. And you're like, this is Yeah, well, this at one work. point I just took off my shirt. Of course, because that's yeah, what I was, I was like, I'm stripping now. And this is what's is. happening. And they use it in the video. Um, it, you could find it online. Um, was there a music video that you were like, I am shocked that I got this and I'm, this is just. Oh, yeah. Crazy. There was there was a music video that I did with um, Enrique Iglesias mm -hmm. and Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. uh, the great Whitney Houston. How did that happen? Uh, uh, casting. Because you also like kept that totally fucking secret. Like, I think that video was out <laughs> and there was like. Like familiar face goes across my screen, and I'm like, "Is anyone a fucking Whitney Houston video?" And told no one. How did that happen? So it was just casting. Uh, I went there, and I think I literally wore a Hawaiian shirt and unbuttoned. Yeah, and I just walked in. And at the time, I had a fresh fade. <laughs> I just you know looked They're over. Like you, go yeah. ahead. Just pick, you know, anyone. Just pick up producer and just stare at them intently. And yeah. they, you know, they get a little, ooh, we like him. Uh, anyways, I think pretty sure that's how I got it. That's great. But I was in it. And the best part of that whole video is that Enrique Iglesias, I think he didn't like me because mm -hmm. he was like sitting with us at lunch. Um, and I'm just like chatting everyone up and everyone. Yeah, if the like, two of you are on camera, that's a battle. Everyone's that's a the, battle. He like knows. But this is at lunch, right? Uh, in the middle of the video. And I'm hanging out with uh, these girls and these guys, a bunch of other dancers, mm -hmm. you know, that were in the video with me. And uh, he comes over and he sits down with us and like he starts talking, talking, talking. But uh, he was just like boring like mm -hmm. well, we were talking about something else you don't just don't sit down hey it's me Enrique Iglesias can I talk to you guys too like dude don't you have your own trailer like get out of here anyway he sits down and like all the girls don't pay attention to him he gets like really mad and just gets yeah. up and then goes over to one of the directors or producers he's just like who's that, that guy who's that guy and I could see her, you know, mouthing my name. I was like, all right, fuck, whatever. And then later on, uh, they tell me, they're like, he doesn't want you around him uh, for the video. So we're going to move you around, which is crazy because the video literally starts with me, a girl, and him laying on a couch. Uh -huh. like and then after you're gone. After we woke up, it looks like after an orgy or something like that. Yes. And like, so it starts me next to him. Yeah. And by the end of the video, slowly, slowly starts moving me away. But then at one point, Whitney Houston comes up to me uh -huh. and sees me sitting down. She goes... I don't know her exact words, but she said, I'm gorgeous. She uh -huh. was like, you are sexy. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, Whitney. And she goes, what are you doing sitting here? Give me, come with me and grabs my hand and literally picks me up and takes me all the way to the front where they were shooting. And it, the scene is her and Enrique Iglesias uh -huh. and everyone dancing behind it. And she comes to the front, she grabs me and she says, grab another girl, grab somebody. So I grabbed this girl who I also know I was talking to at lunch. And she goes, the two of you, this is what's going to happen. We're going to sing and the two of you are just going to cut right between us. That's what we're going to do, sexy. And I'm like, yes, we're going to do that. Thank yes. you, Whitney. Thanks. And as soon as I do it, Enrique sees me and notices, oh, it's this motherfucker that I want next to me. So Whitney makes me go in front of him. It was amazing. It was amazing. That is wonderful. It was fantastic. So yes, I got to talk to her. And how we Houston never on me. talked about this. How we never great. in twenty years of friendship ever talked about it. It was this. good. It was a good time. It's called uh, "Could I Have This Kiss Forever." Is that the name of that song? Video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll see. I'm the guy with the the yellow wide open shirt. Yeah. Is is there like a a break dance spin that you do? There, I do some some type of some type of hip hop something. That's what I remember. It. That's um, what caught my eye. I was like, first of all, I know that shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's it's a good time. I know that slim shouldered Puerto Rican. <laughs> but yeah, Whitney came and she just said, "Get up here in the front." Yeah, so it was just like it was great. It was a good that time. Was wonderful. Yeah. All right. And so, and you didn't love like 
being in front of the camera as much as you love being behind the camera, even with like those stories? So no. Uh, so then, it's not always So like this that. what happened is that then I got this other film, my my first audition for a film. Mm-hmm. This is this sounds like I'm just like knocking these things out, but these it are, doesn't these feel are like the, that. no, these are the only roles I'm getting. Let me just let your <laughs> listeners know that all the ones Nothing I else got happened. were the only ones I right. got. Um, anyway, so I auditioned for this uh, low budget film, um, and I get it. It's like a, a project. So mm-hmm. it's a, it was like a lab, right? It's a short film. So I do the short film. Um, I'm one of the main guys, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a film within a film. There's a lot of sex. Of course, I'm, I'm being typecast at this point. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm, I'm shirtless. Yeah, I'm shirtless. Listen. I'm on a roof. I literally, I've been on a roof having sex in three different projects filmed. Anyway, so this is one of those. The limited imagination of Latinos in 2001 <laughs> to 2010 is rooftop sex <laughs> so and rooftop law and sexing. order. I'm rooftop sexing. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's actually a really good story. It's called Stand Till Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I, I get this. I I, I I think I knock it out. Um, um, Laura Colella um, is the director. She's amazing, and you know she, she goes, "Thank you." No, she starts. You know the short film goes out. Um, I think it screened a couple of times, but mm-hmm. then that's it. I thought I thought we were done. Well, I got that. I'm going to get a copy of it. That's amazing. Um, but it turns out that she went and got some funding and became part of this Sundance Filmmakers Lab. Mm-hmm. So then they end up flying me to Utah. To go to Sundance to to their filmmaker lab, which is just a bunch of short films being produced so they can become get the funding they need to become actual large films. And so this time I'm here for about it was like a week mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm came back to reprise my role. She changed the lead's role. So I, I got my role back. I was like, damn, that's amazing. So now I get so to do this movie again. Mm-hmm. And so. We're there, um, and during this time, um, the, mo- the movie she gets her funding. It turns out to be a full feature film, mm-hmm. um, and I get my role back again. Um, I had to audition again for my role again, but I did get it in the feature film. So I, that was my first feature film that actually screened at theaters. It's out. You could get it on 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 uh, Amazon. You could buy it. It's called Stand to Tomorrow, mm-hmm. and I played Tonio. <laughs> <laughs> Tonio. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's a lot of me sexing on rooftops. Uh-huh. I'm just like one of the love interests for the main for the main. Not a fulfilling character. role. Um, for 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 the female in <laughs> in the movie, that's all I do is try to fulfill her. Uh, no, for I me, mean, it was great. It was a great experience because um, Laura, the director, of the fact I worked with her for a couple of years. She's actually a friend now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just let me know the whole process, right? Like mm-hmm. she went from writing this thing to getting home funding to try to figure this thing out to eventually making the film. And then while I was there shooting, I hung out with the crew the whole time. So like, cause I was away in right. another state. I was, in, and I was like, I didn't know anybody, so I would hang out with this my same crew. But it just let me love it a lot more. Mm-hmm. It just let me see how it looks, you know. Um, and so I always had that idea. Um, so I, I'm sort of interested in like with this journey, like what's next for you, right? Because you, first of all, you're like the busiest person I know. This is like the most I've getting this is like the most I've seen you not busy ever um you're like the busiest human in the world um so how do you I guess find time to even think about where am I going from here and like your own projects like how do you balance that I try as much as I try not to have any days off um Mm -hmm. if I have the unfortunate circumstance of not having work that day Mm -hmm. I'll take a personal day Mm -hmm. finally 
um, and I'll consider it a personal day finally. It's just so hard for me to not work. Yeah, you're a workaholic. For sure. um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, on my days off. That's when you know if my girlfriend's off, we're gonna do some stuff. I'm gonna, you know, I want to bond with her and have some uh, relationship a couple times. Um, if she's at work, then I'm here and I'm gonna bond with my dog and give my dog a little more attention. You know, to try to get that work-life balance right because you know. Six days out of the week, I'm neglecting everything else, mm-hmm. so I got to make up. But yeah, if I have the time to write, then I'll write, mm-hmm. you know, because that's me. As much as I shoot content and do what I love, I'm still a filmmaker, not a camera operator, mm-hmm. right? right? I, I still want to tell my stories. Mm-hmm. And so, but when I'm working nonstop on all of these shows, I don't have the time to write my own stories, right? right? And so, but you got to keep the creativity flowing because I don't ever want to hate my job. So sometimes when I do have time to write, I'm writing. Um, I'm always thinking. I'm always, you know, there's endless notes on my on mm-hmm. my phone of just ideas, 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 ideas. And I'm halfway done with one script right now, Lovely. which is a, a big difference because it's so hard for me to write, mm-hmm. right? So when you say that you want to tell your stories, what are the kind of stories that you are interested in telling that you think aren't being told? Like what drives you back to that? Well, I think um, I just, I didn't have an easy life growing up Mm -hmm. in my childhood. So I know that, you know, urban areas, uh, especially for minorities, our coming of age stories aren't being told Mm -hmm. um, the way they should be. You know, Um, when they are being told, there's, uh, there's some negative, you know, connotation to it, you know, Um, but like, I know that. All the Latino films that I see in English are, you know, there's some cliches to them and there's, mm-hmm. and there's some truths that they're not being, um, they're not saying. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it doesn't have to be a Spanish film. It could just be a coming of age film that starts mm-hmm. a minority character. You know, just because your lead is black doesn't mean it has to be a, you know, a like I, whatever it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have to be a gangster fucking film like mm-hmm. these people get it wrong and there's so many other nuances to like so I just yeah I just want to tell the story of growing up and not knowing your identity and trying to fit into a neighborhood you know where you're a little different because I was really nerdy growing up you know and I didn't want to fit into any of those lives and but I was also not a pussy you know just because I didn't want to be a gang didn't mean you can fuck with mm-hmm. me so I had to like fight a lot you know uh, there was a lot of abuse that happened to me. So, and trying to be a, a man in all of that, and you know, the way a lot of men grow up to be told, you know, suck it up, don't cry, don't have I feelings other than yeah, anger. I didn't have any of those, or if any, uh, positive male figures in my life. Mm-hmm. It was all females. And so, you know. Where was your dad growing up? My dad was gone. Mm-hmm. I had never met him at all. Um, he had killed someone. Um, when I was a baby mm-hmm. and I had to flee the country. And um, so I grew up with my mom, be my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, she was on a lot of drugs. So to take on both of those positions and try to raise two kids while being broke and on welfare in the Bronx was not easy for us. So um, I could, I, like now that I'm 42, I'm like, how did she do this? How the fuck did she do this? Yeah. Um, I would have, I would have been uh, just as bad. Like it's so, I don't blame her. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, I didn't have that positive male or role model. So I would always look up to maybe other guys that I saw or hung out with, or just like 
be able to close into my own self and try to teach myself what it is that I think guys are. And it was always the worst parts of fucking masculinity. You know? Like what? It was always, you know, over bravado, overconfidence, uh, the loudness. If you're just loud and strong, people will respect you, you know, having us, the, the girls for status symbols, working flashy, this, flashy, that all the worst parts of what the cliche. Do you ever grow out of that, you think? Um, I, 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 I saw it for what it was, um, but like, you know, it's like the main parts of, 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 of hip hop culture, right? It's like all the what the, like the, the kit to be a man mm-hmm. like I, it, 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 I i could i don't know but that that's all i had to see in, in the guys that i would look up to mm-hmm. and um i don't know it was just it was just if the question is if i ever grew out of all that yes um i'm definitely more of a self-conscious person and i see people for what they're worth rather than what they can give Do to me. me yeah um but you know as it's, a kid, you're so funny as a, that you say that like i feel like so much of Listen, I'm someone who like knew I was gay from like the womb, right? Uh, but there's still a way in which, like, the piece of manhood that needs relationships to be transactional, um, I real like well into my 30s until yeah. I like even began like that's not how I want to live. I mean, you put up a barrier and it's a defense, and my defense was, you know, I I was just going to use every single person around me. Mm-hmm. Until they proved that they needed to be, you know, for me to design for them, mm-hmm. you know, because it was just, you know, my my mom was fucking crazy on drugs and physically abusing me. And, um, you know, there was um, sexual abuse from mm-hmm. other people as well, um, as far as verbal abuse from pretty much everybody, everybody yeah. in the South Bronx and the early 80s, which is where we lived before we came to the Lower East Side. Um, and then the, the sheer violence in the streets, there was drive-bys every day, people were getting shot. Um, the 80s in New York were the Walla West. And I physically saw dead bodies as a, as a kid, and it's, it's like a gang, like a war zone you're growing yeah. up in. So it gives you shock, PTSD. And no language to even process that trauma, because no one even sort of like thinks about people who live in those environments in America mm-hmm. as like people worth investing in, treating, helping. It's, I think, you know, I work in family court. I feel like a lot of our the kids that like I've worked with in this time have like been from neighborhoods like you grew up in are from neighborhoods like the ones that you grew up in. And like, I just feel like everyone sees poor people and black people and brown people as like problems to solve and not like people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so inside of that, if you grew up with all those things that like all the trauma that you just described, you don't even understand it as trauma. Yeah, until I, like I mean, you're 40. My, my whole family were in, in in the Bronx. There was a lot of drug dealing. Mm-hmm. Um, gang. My, my mom had guns. My All my uncles had guns. Like my whole family has done some shit, you know? And it's like, that's what I grew up around, drugs and guns. I brought a fucking gun to school when I was in second grade. Mm-hmm. Not as uh, threatening uh, um, but just a thing to do. It was just, oh, I brought it to show and tell. And I waved it around the show and tell. I got kicked out of that school. Um, but since it was the 80s, my mom didn't get arrested. She just took her gun away. Wow. Okay. Did you get in trouble? I got kicked out of the school. But from your mom, I mean? Uh, from my mom, yeah. She beat the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had to go to a different district. So now I had to go to school in a different district. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, I just brought it around because I thought it was because cool. it's cool. Yeah, because that's what we learned about guns. I understand. That it could kill you. I didn't have no fucking idea. Yeah. It's like, 
that's just because that's what I grew up around. Uh-huh. So just and how do you think? Like, do you think that's part of why you one needed to leave? Like, just sort of like because that the pressure of that environment, I think, stays with you. It doesn't like lessen. See, the thing the thing is, uh, the good thing that happened is that around the time I was uh, around nine years old. Um, as fucked up, uh, our apartment burned down mm-hmm. in the Bronx, and uh, we had to move out mm-hmm. of that neighborhood. Stay with our grandmother for a little bit, which we lived in the same building. But uh, eventually, we left, and we were homeless. Me and my mom and my sister, my little sister. Um, so my sister was around five or six, mm-hmm. and I was nine. Uh, and we were homeless. We were homeless for three years, in and out of shelters, overnight stays, facilities. Then and New York shelters at that time were probably terrible. Great. Terrible. It was terrible like, now. It was probably just, worse then. It was then. just big rooms with cots, and you'd have to, one of you had to keep your eye open at night because you would get your shit stolen or molested in some fucked up way. Um, and eventually you move into a place that has walls, mm-hmm. and then you eventually get a door, then you eventually get your own room where it's not a bunch of you in, and then you work your way to a semi-permanent facility where you can stay for a couple months, and then they'll find you housing, which is how we moved to Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. We had some uh, government subsidized housing, Section 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we end up coming down here. And then your mom ended up buying the place. Is that, that what happened? No, no, no. So after she died, um, she still, this apartment, this is the sec- the third apartment that we moved around okay. in this neighborhood when we came here. <clears throat> um, the apartment went co-op. Mm-hmm. And then um, she had the option to buy in. Um, so after she died, um, when I finally took the apartment over, there was still that option. So Got it. The lease went to me. And so, yes, I did eventually take the ownership to grow up and, and take over the apartment, yes. And so, yeah. And so you've, like, been in this neighborhood? This neighborhood since, I would say, 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, 90. I had my, yeah, so since 1990, I've been in this neighborhood. Uh, obviously, it's changed. Yeah. Um, and like New York is now in this, we've sort of like talked about this. New York is like at this point, I promise I'm like getting back to something. New York is like at this place where like a lot of people have left. Um, if you, everyone that I know outside of the New York thinks that New York is like burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and like what's going on there. Rents are like skyrocketing. Crime in air quotes is skyrocketing too. Um, in what ways do you think your New York has changed and what ways has it stayed the same? Um, and what has that meant to you as an artist? It's a three-part question. So <clears throat> the fact that New York is always going to change, mm-hmm. right? Um, gentrification is its own fucking monster, but New York is always going to change. You have to accept that you're in a fucking metropolis that's the heart of the world at some times, right? So New York is always going to change. you got to be able to adapt and move on with that if you're going to survive. Mm-hmm. And keep um, your core. You have to figure it out. Um, And so being in the same neighborhood for so long because of me having roots, you know, here, it's going to be really hard for them to get rid of me. Mm -hmm. And so I get to have a relationship with the neighborhood itself and then with the people. And a lot of people down here also in the same situation. Mm -hmm. A lot of them um, were here for so long that they had the option to, you know, buy into places or things like that. Um, or they're in 
uh, but my friends are in the projects. And once mm-hmm. you're in the projects, you sign a lease. You're there for yeah, 20 for, years. Right, right. Like Generations. So a lot of the people that I did go to school with are still in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have been priced out. A lot of them have been moved out. And I grew up in this neighborhood when it was just, uh, this building was one of, I would say, like six buildings that was on the entire block. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were burnt down because, you know, back in the days, they were cre- doing arson on buildings, mm-hmm. you know, to get the insurance. insurance. The fucking Bronx is burning all mm-hmm. over again. That shit happened everywhere. Um, so there was a lot of burnt down lots and junkyards and just empty, vast places. That was my playground right out here. Now there's... I would say 30 buildings. There's no lots left at all. They're mm-hmm. all buildings. I don't want them to still be lots, but now they're all fucking mini high rises. They're all for the affluent. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind it because now my property value went up, right? Like I, now I when I walk outside, I'm not getting stabbed in front of my own building. I, now I see some nice expensive poodles. I see some Frenchies. I see, you know, affluent people. I see Teslas. And so great. Without moving, I now live in the hottest neighborhood mm-hmm. in fucking in, in, in New York, right? So, but I just wanted to know that it's not their neighborhood. It's still a community. Mm-hmm. And when you do come into a community and you want to add all of these places, obviously it's gentrification, right? We all know that problem. Give to the culture. Move with the culture. Like You can't just open up a spot and expect that your $20 drinks are going to fucking sell. No. That's why you're going to close down in two fucking seconds. Like, know the neighborhood, right? There's a way to do it. And there's a really uh, big Hispanic neighborhood too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, a lot of these arts and, you know, a lot of the, 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 the groups down here have fizzled out, mm-hmm. you know, diffused. And, you know, so it just sucks to see that mm-hmm. the deterioration of my old culture yeah. and the culture. Right. But, you know, I, I mean, it's always going to change. I'm going to be OK with that because at one point it wasn't a Hispanic and, and, and black neighborhood. It was an Irish fucking neighborhood right. back here. It was a Jewish neighborhood right. back here. Like everybody. Henry has Street that. Settlement started yes, to every, serve immigrants. Every, everyone has yeah. this. They're. 20 years, 30 years, and yep. then the next group comes in. So, you know, I, I was a gentrifier, I guess. My Hispanic people mm-hmm. were gentrifiers at one point, too. So, but when it's when, when you just keep some of the culture, like we still have a big Irish, you know, Jewish, Hispanic, like all those cultures, we, we, we love it down here. Mm-hmm. We know the history of the Lower East Side and the tenements and all of that shit. But, you know, you come out here and you open up a fucking towel restaurant, like, I don't know, like some bullshit, like, doesn't serve the community at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that's a delicate balance between what, you know, do I, do I want to keep it fucking underprivileged? No fucking way. Mm-hmm. I just want to keep it cultural still. Yeah. Um, There's a way in which I guess the gentrification piece doesn't involve investing in the people who are already there. And so like, it's like progress for whom? Yeah. Because exactly. not everyone can benefit from it. Yeah. So I just like, I just, in general, it's like, I'm out here. They're not going to get rid of me. I try to be involved with as many local groups as possible. I, I donate to, you know, organizations in the neighborhood. Um, and I just try to give back as much as possible. And I, I, I th- the one way I can do it is telling stories. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to tell some really good, authentic, low East side stories Having to grow up in a world that's changing around you, in a, in a, in a neighborhood that's getting whiter by the second. How do I work on that growing up in a lot of, you know, 
quote unquote hoods, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in bad neighborhoods, having to always be defensive, where now I'm the one that when they walk down the street, they cross the street mm-hmm. as if I'm now the Right, problem. like you've moved in. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, right. you moved into this neighborhood. But like, I was always like the one on the defense and like having to cross <laughs> the street. And then, and then, so now I'm the fucking- You're the threat. And, it's So it's so mind boggling to juggle that mm-hmm. and not- Wanting to just be like, fuck you, bitch. Why'd you move into this neighborhood? Right. No, so I, I don't want to do that. You know, everyone has the right to do whatever they want. But, but like, also know the culture. Like, if you move into this neighborhood, don't be scared of everybody that got a fucking fitted hat and a hoodie on. Right. You're living between Avenue D and Avenue C. Right. Don't be offended by the sign of the Puerto Rican flag. Are you fucking right. kidding me? Right. There's a massive project complex. All around. It's like a, a mile and a mile and a half of project complex. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of minorities. That's a that's a big like, don't be scared. You moved in here. Right. We're totally fine. Right. We're skipping and getting ice cream. Why right. are you so like ah, it's terrifying. And how do you think that that those when you imagine using all of that? Well, let me ask this. Why do you think those stories haven't been told? And how do you imagine that you're gonna go about telling those stories? So I think the stories haven't been told um, because there's just not a fucking market for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a market for it. And it's stories that maybe were told, no one, they went under the radar because mm-hmm. um, they're just not marketable. Or not marketed, right? Yeah, yeah it's like, the, what, what do we have right now that I, I don't know um, as far as authentic coming of age stories mm-hmm. you know mainly leading pertain- by people of color it's mainly, like all yeah, marvel yeah mainly <laughs> mainly pertaining to you know the youth and the juvenile experience in the mm-hmm. East side because yeah. that that is you know that at, in the 90s in the early 90s and early 2000s there was you could easily go down you could easily go bad with your decisions um and uh there's not enough people that want to tell those stories yeah. so like I can't let fucking kids be oh God. the best kids, story, the film. The best story of oh the my Lower God. East Side. Great film, but I can't let that traumatizing be the, film. The but best like a film of the yeah. Lower East Side, you know. Um, but I, like I, the only one that people point to about that yeah, time period. That's so good. That's a good point. It can't be that, um, you know. And the good thing is that a lot of those actors were from the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there's other ways to tell it. There's other ways to 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 be more authentic. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just want to tell stories. Um, I think I only have two questions left for you. Yeah, ask me whatever you want. Um, what's next for you? For me, mm-hmm. um, for me, uh, I got a couple projects that I'm trying to finish. A couple shows that I'm on mm-hmm. uh, that I'm trying to finish by the end of the year. Uh, but my main, main thing is to tell this documentary mm-hmm. about Urban Ballet Theater and just how that was a starting off point for. A bunch of main characters, me being one of them, and you know, to grow up and be artists, you know, I, yeah, to cultivate the art that we didn't have in us to grow up to be something. It was just like it's, I, I, people want to tell me that I, I, I am, am somewhat of a success story, and mm-hmm. I still don't see it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think until still, I, you still don't see it until I film it and make myself watch it. Mm-hmm. Then I'll know until you express <laughs> so it. So it might be a self gratifying yeah. uh, documentary. I get it, uh, but there there are um, some great stories to tell there. Uh, uh, also, talking about art as well. So mm-hmm. I think you know, 
it needs to be a good little, you know, dance-based <laughs> documentary with some drama. Yeah, I'm interested in you reflecting on how art came to mean so much in your life. I would love to see that. Yeah, because like so many people, we get told this idea about like the starving artist or like how one has to struggle for their art. And like I look at you and like you were like a working artist. You've always sort of like just gone for it. Whatever the art is, you're like, I will figure it out later. I will just like do the piece, figure out later. And I remember recently I was talking about some project, like this really big project that I want to do that is like, I have no idea I'm gonna, how I'm going to do it. And it's like such a stretch, stretch for me, even thematically. And I like went through like all this with you and you were like, just create. <laughs> that was your response. I like had this like pages of text message and then you responded, just create, period. <laughs> just like this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Um, and so then my last question is always, what's in your rear view? Ooh, rear view. Um, a lot of the pain that I've been holding, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I guess, yeah, yeah, your viewers don't know me, so I should tell them a little bit. Uh, if, you don't, if you do want me to. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I was holding on to a lot of pain for the last 20 years. Um, my mom died of an overdose. She did a lot of drugs her whole life. Um, and I, she died. I was 22 at the time. My sister was just turning 18. Um, and you know, I just got back. I was jumping into this. So that technically is why I made the dance company, my mm-hmm. surrogate family. It's, um, but it was all happening at the same time. I was like confused. Crazy. I didn't know what to right. do. Then my mom dies. And now I have to literally... Now I took. I had to go to court to take custody of my sister, mm-hmm. so they don't put her in, you know, your line of work. <laughs> yeah, um, she was like just seven, like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. She wasn't eighteen yet, and so then, um, yeah, so I became her legal guardian. I remember that. Um, but she had a she had a really good boyfriend at the time at the time, um, that she was with, and. But it was hard for us. It was hard for me and my sister. We didn't know what to do, but you know, we try to be there as much as we can for each other. Um, so, yeah, then I, I literally, not growing up with father and just having my sister and my mom to hold myself accountable. Once my mom died, there was no one. I, I literally said to myself, I said, there's no one that can tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. There's no one that can tell me what to do. I, I, I felt... Or that you're accountable to really... I felt weird, mm-hmm. unleashed... I felt really weird, and I knew that the next couple of years were going to be pretty fucking chaotic, and they were. And um, I, I did a lot of drugs. I did a lot of drinking. A lot of you know, a lot of vices. Mm-hmm. All sex, the vices. Sex, All the vices. Everything. Mm-hmm. Just I was uncontrollable, and you know, thankfully, you know, I, I took more the art route um so yeah those those two years it was two summers where it was really dark but yeah just the art let me know that you know uh the sheer fact that i can't fucking wake up hungover and go to class and things like that there was some structure that was slowly ingraining into my head mm-hmm. and yeah i just decided you know one day this is what i'm going to do and when i went to college honestly i was like i went to college late I went to college when i was 27 mm-hmm. right yeah, did you love I just it? I literally decided I, I'm, I'm gonna 
I have I felt like I was getting super old, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm gonna die tomorrow. <laughs> I have to do something with my life. Uh, anyway, so but once I went into college, once I went in, I excelled in every uh-huh. class. I was that fucking nerd, and I was the old guy in class yeah. too. And I was the fucking nerd. I was 4.0, 4.0 dean's list, but just knocking it out of the park. Um, and so that was really good. And finding this business, like this is, I didn't know I was going to fall into this career. I've done a lot of things in my life. I used to sell cheese for fucking 10 years. <laughs> All right. For Balducci's and, yes. and Dean and DeLuca. You've I was done a, a little cheese bit of monger for a long time. But yeah, I think that to answer your original question in my rear view is that just anger. a lot of the pain, a lot of the anger I had for my mom, blaming her for me now having to figure out and being like, I was blaming her for bullshit. And mm-hmm. you know, she had our life. She didn't deserve any of that. Um, but the anger that I held in, the weight, not not getting help, not realizing that I had PTSD mm-hmm. and I was depression. And depression doesn't have to, the, in my head, I was like, I don't feel depressed. I don't mm-hmm. feel down. No, no, no. That's not how it comes out in a lot of people. It came out as anger and aggression in me. Yeah. And um, to the to, to the point that people thought that, that was me. Yeah. They're like, oh, Eddie, I synonymous with anger and rage-fueled drug sex. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding? That me? was your reputation. I'm not I, gonna lie. It, it, it was. It was because that's all I did. Mm-hmm. It was like a ball of like a Tasmanian devil. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. It was toxic. Um, yeah. But then yeah. I. But then I would say something cute, and everyone would just let me go. And I was like, let you, you get away with it. No that. accountability at all. There was no accountability. I didn't. I didn't let anyone. So. But then, you know, I started actually taking some, meeting some good elders and actually taking it for what it was and listening to them and just, you know, putting me on somewhat of a right track. But recently I did a lot of therapy, which is very, very good. I refused therapy and I just did a nine week intensive Mm -hmm. where it was a a therapist and a behavioral coach. Mm -hmm. What made you do that? Um, it was a free program, mm-hmm. first of all. <laughs> You're like, that's what uh, enables me. Free I didn't have to pay for it. Program. Great. Uh, but yeah, I, I looked into my, you know, health workplace <laughs> bullshit um, interface and I'm like, let me get some help. Let me, let me see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I found this one. I was like, this one's free with your insurance, but it's on their time. It's right. like, it's a lock schedule. And uh, the fact that they would, uh, when I talked to the initial person, there was like, well, it's a nine-week intensive, and your schedule is so busy. I don't think you can do it. When she said that, like, I will make it happen. Said, I'm going to make this happen. You don't tell me what to do. And that's my fuel, right? Yes. Anybody tells me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. Oh, fuck you. Anyways, so then I made myself do this. And in making myself do this, I really so much, so much anger, so much pain, like... It's amazing what therapists can do when they say so little. Did you know there was <laughs> anger there all this time? Um, I knew that I was really short fused. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would cry daily. Mm-hmm. You know, I would constantly and shower. The shower is my time to <laughs> cry. Let and it sing. out. Let it out. Cry and sing on key. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot that I knew that I had to let out, but I would hold it in, you know, to be, to show a good face for my sister. I yeah. want to be strong for her because if, if, she, like, if she didn't have me to look forward to. or you know, to look up to. Yeah. And then now she has kids and it's just like a lot of stuff that I had to be strong for, but I wasn't ever strong for myself at all. What had you, what even made you think now is the time to even look for therapy? Because I feel like I'm just going to be honest with you mm-hmm. as like someone who's loved you for a very long time. 
I thought like the work and the drugs was like, I didn't, I don't know that I saw the anger, but I definitely was like, oh, this is someone who would like rather chew glass than feel whatever that is in there, which I 100% understood because I have a lot of that going on too. And so, but like have been therapized forever around like up to the brink of right like i have my my therapy hustle where it's like i know only what we are going to talk about my dad we're not touching my mom i am not ready that's it we're not ready yeah and then my last therapist was like bitch we're talking about your mom and now i'm like uh but like what even had you like willing to like look for therapists because i feel like you've been resistant to that idea well yeah um it's like pandemic life is like, this is the time. It, I mean, you know, pandemic, you're sitting here and you're like, what, <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, which is why I started doing all that charity work. Mm-hmm. I was like doing a lot of charity work for this hospital uh, during the pandemic, which was really good. Um, but no, I just knew this a lot. I just, it's something I told myself every day and then mm-hmm. I just like masked it and, you know, I mm-hmm. shut myself up. Like, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Uh, we can self like, and heal. We can self uh, medicate. We can self What's the, how do I say that? Therapize? Self-therapize. I like it. I don't know if that's a word, but yeah. Yeah, I can do self-therapy. I can figure all this out. Um, And every relationship I was in, I was always doing the same thing. It was like a, 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 a... A cycle? It was a cycle, but it was like, it was just, you know, when you like, when you do something over and over again, right? It's like, what do they call that? Compulsive? Yeah, it's like a, a, a long ways, but it's like like when you're used to something, right? Like mm-hmm. when you normalize the that. There are many words for that. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um. Anyways, but I mean, it might be because I saw it. Like I saw. Yeah. The there, there was just there was there was just always something that I was bringing to every relationship mm-hmm. that was a, a bit toxic, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of it had to do with just unresolved issues, mm-hmm. and um. And a lot of these poor girls did not deserve any of me. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just know that I'm never going to be happy unless I'm uh, unless I'm willing to be happy being alone, which I don't think I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went through a lot. I would love to have a family. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to. It's the first time I've heard you say that. I would like to instill a lot of the shit that I had to self-teach myself mm-hmm. to, you know, the next generation because there's a lot of life hacking that you need to do. I would like to. If not, then what was all that struggle for, right? Yeah. Why did I struggle so hard to fucking make something of myself or stay alive if I'm not going to pass it on? So either through fil- film form um, or through a next generation of some way. So I definitely know that I don't want to just be alone, even though I am now at a point that I could be happy alone. That's I do like my my own time it gives me time to think but no no i'm much happier in a relationship with someone holding me accountable <laughs> that's beautiful so um yeah i know that i don't want to keep going on being the toxic one and mm-hmm. so I, I if if therapy is going to help it's going to help um and if it doesn't then i'm just going to find something else that's going to help yoga anything whatever is <laughs> going to fucking help, help i'm going to do it right and so that's why I was opposed to it this whole time. I just I just didn't want to face that I was the fucking problem, right? And um, but yeah, doing it and just letting a bunch of shit out, it's just, it felt good. And then being forced to now having to the, it was like the same schedule, having then to talk to a behavioral coach, which then says, okay. And I'm thinking it's just another therapy session. She's like, what'd you do last week? I tell her exactly what I did. She goes. 
how can we not do that? Yeah. And like hold me accountable for things I do. The other one's holding me accountable for the way I act and feel. think and yeah. feel. And the other one's holding me accountable for what I actually translate those do, things to doing. What yeah. I do. And there was like a checklist and like some homework that I had to do. There was a form that I had to keep. It was really nice. It was like to it was like it was way. it was therapy for people that don't want therapy. How did you do it? It was great. How did you do that? And then I'm going to let you go. How did you do that and then not get, or are you, or is, how do you do that and not be in the beat up? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like if, if like I told someone what I did last week um, and it like fell below what I expected of myself, mm-hmm. I would spend a lot of time just feeling bad about it. I myself. think that's the point. To get you out of that. Um, because I think they're telling me that I don't need to have anyone accountable because I'm the only one that's supposed to hold myself accountable right. first and foremost. That's beautiful. So I think that was the goal because my therapist was sassy. She was like, let me tell you the truth. I am not going to fucking hold back from you. And I'm just like, ooh, yes, a mother figure, strong. <laughs> I'll take it. Give it to me. <laughs> Give it Honesty? To me. Tell me something to sure. do. Sure. Tell me, please. I won't be able to wink <laughs> at you and you just let it let yeah, it let it pass. Like, I need a mother figure. This look great. Love Anyways, uh, but she's just like just like I, I I there's no way I can help you if you don't want to be helped. Right. So like I can tell you things, and, but you know, and I'm gonna be honest. I'm like you know, if you're gonna you know not come through in your end, she's gonna tell, tell me how I it. did wrong. That's great. But then she's you know, but then I I do feel bad, and that's the point. If I feel bad, I'm letting myself down. And she's just like, I don't know when you're on your own, if you're not going to do what I'm, I don't know, suggesting that you should do. And so I'm wasting their time. Right. And it's a free program. And so I think all of it just worked perfectly for, for you. me. Got and you. it was like, let me just do this 100% open, honestly, like your doctor, you go talk to your doctor. You're not going to hold anything back from your fucking doctor. Right. Not get, you're gonna, not going to get well. Yeah. You're not going to get well. So I treat it the same way. I was like, I'm an open book. Open me up like an onion. And they did. They fucked me up. I love oh that. my god, that was terrible. I think this is my best, my favorite rear view answer so far. I love this. I love this journey. I love this moment for you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you for opening up. Yeah, that's a good time. Thank you, Eddie Bernard. All right. And thank all of you out there for listening to this episode of Objects in This Review. I am Travis Montez, reminding you that the only reason to take a look back is to see how far you've come. See you next time.